It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe, and I'm glad you're here. Kelsey Dara is many things. Host of the podcast Confidently Insecure, YouTube personality, former BuzzFeed video star with millions and millions of views, new author, and a friend of mine. We are not very much alike. For instance, I've spent many years in public radio, and you can hear it in my voice. Kelsey's voice is different. Oh my God, hi. Hi, John. This is freaking amazing that this is happening. I'm so excited. Why is it amazing? Because you are you. Oh, now. And I am like me. And we've connected and become internet friends. And now I'm talking to you. What a beautiful world we exist in. <laughs> Kelsey Dara lives in Southern California. I live in the upper Midwest, where God tries to ice murder me every year. I'm kind of quiet. I'm kind of an introvert. Kelsey, uh, well, here she is in a recent YouTube video. And so he, like, sticks his head in between my legs, and he goes, what is that? And I'm like, it's my boric acid pill. I'm trying to put my boric acid pill in. And he goes, babe, you put it in your urethra. And at this point, it's starting to burn a little bit and I'm like no I fucking didn't and he takes a picture of it with his phone and he shows it to me and I am just like wait. We have some things in common though. We're passionate about mental health and we've got some issues of our own that we are happy to talk about. Kelsey Dara has gained a lot of grateful fans because she's honest and blunt about her own mental health obstacles and the stuff she shares is very human and often very funny. And now it is time for me to tell you about my very specific Mental Health Month awareness self-care tips that I have been doing personally to get by. <clears throat> to begin, I got my pussy painted. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, let me back up. <clears throat> I want to be like even closer with my pussy because even though it creates a whole bunch of drama for me health-wise in my life, I still want to appreciate her. Kelsey's debut book is Don't Fucking Panic. There's an asterisk for the letter U. We were in our separate faraway homes when we spoke, but I really hope to have lunch with her in person one of these days because I think it would be fun. During the interview, there are some noises I can't identify exactly, a clacking like an old typewriter, and a deep, ominous thrum like a thunderstorm or an alien ship. As a warning, in this interview, Kelsey and I do talk about the idea of suicide. Let's just do an inventory at the top here. Okay. What you got going in terms of uh, in terms of mental disorders? I know you got the depression. What else do you got? Death got my depression, my depression, pray, my depression, um, my depression mode. The you know generalized- you're under depression. Yeah. Oh, we could keep going, right? <laughs> the whole episode. De- generalized anxiety disorder. Gotta love a good gad. Yep. Panic disorder. Mm-hmm. That one really, really, really have a fun time with. Chronic pain, but I, I think I stick to the core three of depression, anxiety, and panic was like the cherry sprinkle on top. Nice, nice. Where are you from originally? You know what's funny? I was born in LA, mm-hmm. but I left and grew up in Florida, which is like the most regular place in the country, right? Totally nothing exciting or dramatic. Never makes in- the news, I find. 
Like, no, it's yeah. so boring. Nothing traumatic. When you at want all sanity, happening. go to Florida. That's what people always say. <laughs> and then I've been in LA ten years. Where did some of these things start showing up? The depression, the anxiety. Mm. Mm. I found when I was writing the book, actually, that it started a lot sooner than I had been talking about publicly. I had always considered like the moment of my first panic attack to be in my teen years. But as I did inventory of my trauma, I recognized that I was having panic attacks at a very young age and I had not given any validity to it. And I also had not studied panic attacks in like toddlers, but I remembered having these moments where my parents would take me to the ER as a kid because I said I couldn't breathe and they thought I was having asthma attacks or that there was something wrong with my heart. Like maybe I had a heart condition as a kid and nope, it was panic attacks. And, you know, we didn't know anything about it. My parents didn't know anything about it. No doctor ever was like, you should take her to a therapist. So I had to kind of deal with that too. The whole idea of like, I was giving you signs very mm -hmm. early on and nothing happened for a very long time. <laughs> Do you remember them as asthma or something physical, but you don't remember the, the emotion behind them? I actually remember very specifically after a soccer game once being exhausted because uh, I was like a star athlete um, and feeling like I couldn't breathe and starting to fall into that cycle of, why is my heart beating this way? Why can I feel my blood pumping through my veins? Why can't I swallow? And so I started not being able to swallow. And I remember that pure panicked adrenaline feeling so clear, like clear as friggin' day, that first panic attack. And, you know, my parents thought I was like choking on something because that was saying I couldn't swallow. They thought my tongue was swelling up, allergic reaction. But that feeling is so effing recognizable if you've had a panic attack before yep. and I didn't I didn't know so yeah no I fully packed that one away in the um Irish subconscious and just ignored it for 15 years <laughs> what is the Irish subconscious oh you know where you can admit you have any problems and you just uh, kind of like yeah. drink it yeah drink uh -huh. it away yeah what is mo Norwegian and it's the same thing Oh, no way. Yeah, no, it's, it's well, you sense there's a problem and then you just sort of like grit your teeth and smile and then you drink it away. But you don't have any fun drinking it away. Uh, see, the Irish don't smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, why am I drinking this? Isn't good either. <laughs> yeah. Love that. It's like all those new Taylor Swift songs with the national, <sighs> except if you crank the bass and take Taylor out of them. So n not fun. <laughs> no, not much fun at all. Or enjoyable. No. Not chart top. That's right. Oh. What about the depression and anxiety? When did those come along? So again, another thing that I was so sure and clear about until I started writing the book and also learning more about what depression actually means and how it has changed over time. The feeling of, of no desire of things, not necessarily the feeling of sadness was a really big wake up call for me. I was like, oh, wait, yeah. that weird numbness ether space yeah. that I lived in, that was depression. Right. And so definitely in my teen years. And when I say I was the most dramatic attention seeking teen of all time, I'm talking like star theater kid, quarterback of the flag football team, K 
catcher in the softball team. Like I had to be the center of attention for everything. And there was a very specific time in my teenage years where all of that just completely turned off and I felt nothingness and it was blamed on hormones, bad attitude. You know, I started smoking weed really young. So it was like, oh, she's a stoner, yada, yada, yada. Um, Never though, never. Maybe we should go get to her mental health, you know? (laughs) Maybe Maybe there's something wrong that isn't her fault. (laughs) Yeah. That isn't a moral failing or a weakness. Yeah. Well, I'm curious as a parent, like, would you have known in the 90s Mm. that that was a thing to look at or would you need to have been a little more woke to the system? Yeah, I think you would be. I mean, I've talked to people who got treatment very early and got treatment in the seventies and eighties, Whoa! but usually there's an awareness in that family. Like a relative Mm. has gone through Mm. depressive episodes or has been Mm -hmm. affected by schizophrenia. Yeah. But no, it, it's it's not really common. Mm-mm. And I think there's a, a desire on the part of parents that it is that solvable, you know, because yes. like being a parent is overwhelming on the best day. <laughs> and you're like, oh, maybe if I make this minor adjustment, everything will be okay. You bring up such a good point that like it's usually something very dramatic or traumatic in a, in a relative yeah. where you – kind of hold that to a standard like well she's not aunt carol fucked up so we don't need to take her anywhere yet you know she's just a kid yeah let's wait a we, little bit see what kind of happens if it plays itself out we don't need to give her the only mental health treatment we know of years of incarceration <laughs> yeah. yeah and you know where they electrically stimulated uh women's brains into yeah hysteria, yeah or just leave them in a room for decades More from Kelsey Dara in just a moment. I know from your book that you <laughs> attended briefly for, for varying lengths of time, three different colleges. Yep. All dropped out. Dropped out of all of them. Dropped out of all of them. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think there was probably ever a job description growing up of like BuzzFeed video no. maker mm-hmm. influencer. It wasn't right. in the Richard Scary books in Busy Town. <laughs> Yeah. How did you how did you stumble into that work? The fact that you just said busy town just brought me back. That was amazing. Um <laughs> you know, I always wanted to be in the entertainment field, whatever that was, behind the camera, in front of the camera, usually in front of because I'm a control freak who just is like, I'll just do it. One take wonder, watch me. Uh still working on those issues in therapy. Yeah. Um, but I always knew that I liked making people feel something, Mm. whether it be laughing or anger or outrage. I loved that feeling of connecting with people because I don't think personally I can (laughs) very well. A little social anxiety, perhaps. You don't think you can what? Connect with people the same way normally as opposed to like through art or right. video. It's so or... like if you're meeting somebody in, in meat space, in three-dimensional meat space, <laughs> it's not going to be as effective as, as a video that you make. I'm like, just watch this thing. Like every time I would go to therapy, I'd like send the link before I started with a new therapist. I'd be like, watch these three videos so I don't have to fucking waste my time and spend three appointments explaining everything. Just watch this. You'll get it. And I feel very lucky that I I grew up in the era of YouTube becoming a thing because 
I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's completely changed the mental health game. And I so appreciate, like, I don't know what the fuck I'd be doing if that didn't exist. How did the mental health and how did the kind of self-examination that you do in your videos become the mm. lane? Like, why not, <laughs> you know, shopping or sports or science or something? Love all those things. Yep. Love them. But I'm not plagued by them where, you know, it keeps me up at night and I can't stop until I'm able to write it down. Um, you know, it wasn't ever meant to be actually my thing, if you will. I was really focused on comedy. I was really focused on lady comedy. You know, when I joined up BuzzFeed, it was the days of like Amy Schumer, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, you know, finally women are funny. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to ride this train up. But we did a mental health week at BuzzFeed where, you know, I had already been leading the charge internally on uh, mental health conversations with coworkers. And, you know, I had created a Slack group that was for anyone at the office living with mm. these things that, you know, if you wanted to take a walk with someone, you want to go get a snack, you need to meditate. Here you go. Here's a place, safe place to talk about it. Once we had that mental health week, it was so therapeutic to be making these videos. And I didn't even put myself in them. They were like voiceover videos. But people recognized me immediately, and I was like, oh, well, shit, the jig is up. Today, I take three pills. What they are doesn't matter because I've learned that that very well could change someday. Finding the medication that works is a journey, and everyone's journey is going to be different. Our chemicals are different. We are different. I cannot hold myself accountable for what happens with my depression and anxiety. That I don't have control over. But I can hold myself accountable for the strength of trying. The impact that those videos had still to this day, I get messages about and, you know, people got like tattoos of the things. And I was like, oh my God. And people were reaching out to ask me to come talk at their schools and on their podcasts and things. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm here. And I've suffered for this. Like mm. I have suffered so much, you know, trigger warning, you know, like I literally wanted to kill myself most of my life. And I didn't because I'm supposed to do this to show other people. Mm. A little dark. <laughs> no, I mean, not to me. It, it's very, uh, it's very understandable. But you're like Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, some of us have gone pro in depression, and you know, you and me are, are two of them. Level up. Yeah, let's go. Let's go hang out with Chris Gethard and talk misery. Uh. So it catches on. People are getting tattoos of the illustrations from your what videos. The fuck, right? You're becoming yeah. a celebrity. At that point, did it feel like, oh my God, this is a huge responsibility. I better get this right. You know, you're a three college oh, yeah. dropout. You're not a psychiatrist. Yeah. How <laughs> no. did how did that feel? <laughs> you know, I was lucky in that because the only reason why I was able to make those videos is because I was so comfortable at BuzzFeed, you know, for three years prior. So I had been able to build an audience that trusted me. And it was almost like I opened up this new part of me. So it wasn't like my entire brand, quote unquote, relied on mental health content, but it was something that I realized I, I felt the calling to do. And it only got overwhelming when people would message me, you know, about their suicidal ideologies and use it to, I didn't know how to handle that. You know, if someone crawls in my DMs and I see it and I don't know what to do, or I'm just not in that space where I can emotionally deal with that. 
Yeah. Um, and I say deal with that, which is like such a shitty thing to say, but that's where it definitely felt like, okay, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a person. And I had to set a boundary a little bit with those kind of messages, not reading them, deleting them. And recognizing that my superpower is not being the doctor. You know, I am the the person who has gone through it. That's all I can be because that's all I am. So let's talk about the book. Don't F asterisk King panic for <laughs> our sensitive to, listeners. Yeah, yes. no, I know. There's some memoir in it, but it's mm -hmm. also a sort of description of various uh, issues and states of mental health and also a workbook like one might find in seventh grade French class. Yeah. Why a workbook? And Well, first, well, tell me about the yeah. book, just for somebody who's okay. never heard of this book. Sure. Tell me about the book. It is divided into three big ass sections. It's like 300 something pages. Uh, anxiety, panic, and depression, which like I said, it's my holy trinity. It's kind of the stuff that I you know, have in my life and, and often coexist with each other. And in each section, you've got anecdotes and stories and personal essays about sort of subcategories in those sections. So with anxiety, you're getting rumination, intrusive thoughts, uh, self-doubt, self-compassion, and panic, you're getting actual tangible tools to try to survive a panic attack. And then the depression goes from everything from like how to take a shower when you're super depressed to like, what do you do on the day you want to kill yourself? So it's really expansive in the three categories. And it was so important for me to have a workbook because when I am in those three states, I feel a bit chaotic in that I can't focus on one long 20 minute meditation. I will go apeshit trying to sit still in those moments. And so I really wanted these pages to be stuff that you could flip through and turn back to and rip out. And there's no order to it. It's just open a page. And if it helps you great, and if not turn the next page and find something else. And so, you know, it, like I said, it was important for me to, for it to be a workbook because when you're in those states, the last thing I want to do is sit down and have a read with a cup of tea and relax. It's like, I don't, that doesn't exist in the world of a panic disorder or super bad depression days. So that's, that's my, that's my pitch. So it, it's built with its accompanying attention span issues in mind. <laughs> yes, I do talk about uh, ADHD as a symptom uh, of anxiety for sure in there. <laughs> yeah. What do you hope people get from it? Like I heard the question well, the other day when they, when they read the last page and close the back cover, what do you hope to get? Well, I hope they never like close it and put it back on their shelf and never use it again. Cause I think it's a book that can always be kind of dusted off and used or passed to a friend, but it was so important for me to have each person who picks this up gain some sense of confidence in their mental health, whether you want to call it an issue or a disorder or a condition or a diagnosis I wrote the book that I wish I had had when I was 16, 17, 18. And yeah. I want people to walk away going like, God, I just saved $150 on a therapy appointment on this page, <laughs> or this is the one quote I'm going to remember and put on my phone background. You know, it, it's, it's a simple idea, but it's, it's hard to work on yourself. So I, I applaud anyone that wants to pick it up and do anything with it. You know, I, I'm super appreciative of, anybody that wants to read it. 
you talked a little while ago about having boundaries with what Mm. you're sharing and what you're not sharing. And I read this book. It gets very personal and it gets, you know, you're not easy on yourself. I don't think you beat yourself up, but, you know, you you take yourself to task on some things. Oh, sure do. And then, you know, I've been watching some of your videos and I watched Mm. one where you were with your boyfriend talking about almost breaking up. But then a whole lot of that video is about your vagina. (laughs) There's like three episodes in a row about my vagina that were not meant to be about my vagina. And and Kelsey, (laughs) I got to say, I've always given myself a lot of credit for being really open about things. And like, I'm just going to share things with people. And then, you know, I watch your videos. I'm like, I am minor league when it comes to sharing stuff. You know, for so long, I was like, Mom, why don't you share my posts on your Facebook page? (laughs) And she's like, I am super proud of you. I will never share this link. But like, you know, what I I realized is I've always been sort of this attention-seeking person. And I had to learn that that's not a bad thing. That if you want attention, it doesn't mean you are a bad person. That you are selfish or selfish feels like the right word. It, It is a way of connecting with people. And when I told the episode about getting a boric acid pill stuck in my urethra instead of a vagina and had to go to the emergency room in the middle of the night, you would not believe how many women messaged me saying that that had happened to them. And I was like, validation. Okay. We're going somewhere. And like, listen, I, I've always been that person about like, if, if no one's talking about it, how are we going to fix anything? And so sometimes, yeah, that has to do with vaginas or open relationships or chronic pain and and more specifically mental health. And I just think I don't have a lot of shame, I guess, in being honest. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of shame in my, how do I say this? I, I do experience shame internally with my own thoughts or or, or lack of action, if that makes sense. It's interesting because mm. maybe that's the, the key to this question I was going to ask because you talk about all the times that you've dealt with suicidal ideation, not wanting to be mm-hmm. around, and shame is, is such an incredibly powerful force. And mm. I was having a hard time as you were talking about the tough times mm. really seeing you in that state. Mm. But maybe mm. that's that's the state that doesn't get talked about maybe. And that's because of the shame. The fact that you read my book is blowing my mind. (laughs) I have to just keep being like, holy shit, be cool. Um, Be super cool. Yeah. Oh, I so goddamn it. Um, Yes. I love what you just said, because this is that book. Like, we don't talk about, we talk about the hard stuff, but it's also like, yeah, but what if we go one inch deeper, one level deeper, or like, how do I make people not feel like a freak uh, about this thing or embarrassed or shameful about this thing? And it's something that I've been talking a lot about recently is, you know, I want to get this out there because I think I'm a mildly successful person. Like, don't get me wrong. I have, you know, credit cards to pay and stuff. I'm not a millionaire. I don't own a house, but I want to show people that you can literally spend half your life wanting to kill yourself and then it gets better and that you can be successful in a relationship and that you can be successful in a job and that you're hireable and that you're teachable and that you're, you're neuroplastic and, you know, you deserve to exist and breaking those stigmas is, is really important to me. Talk about the, the role of 
of shame in your life because I I've been I've been uh, I don't I'm trying to think of the right way to say consuming when I've been reading and listening <laughs> to I've been smoking some Brene Brown lately. Oh, <laughs> and she my queen and she talks about shame being about who you are and guilt being about what you've done and how Ooh, much yeah big time how much deeper the shame goes when. It, and that's what I think a lot of people, the place where a lot of people are about mental illness, because they, mm. they don't think that uh, major depressive disorder is something that has happened to them. They see it as like, mm. I'm weak and bad and stupid. Right. Um, oh, God, that's so, I can't even hear that sentence and not get <laughs> like, come on, no. Brene Brown is my my Jesus. I think I'm, that's who I'm missing on my wall over here is I need just like a Brene Brown painting. But like, you pointed out something so wonderful and I speak a little bit about it in the shame chapter. So I hope I get this right. But like shame is the only like emotion and feeling that is, is evolutionarily not instilled in us the way that like sadness and anger are yeah. kind of like learned, like people shame people so that you, you become a better person in society so that you fit yeah. in better. So that it's like a, a shaping sort of thing. It's an and attempt so, at that. that but, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but there's no like anxiety can be a really useful thing. If like you're in an right. unstable home environment and right. you need to be on the lookout at all times, like anxiety yes. saves you from getting smacked sometimes. There you go. But shame. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's an effective weapon against other people. And it's so internal. It's so internal, even though it's usually caused by an external force, mm -hmm. you know, like a group being like, you should feel bad about this. And then that's where Brene kind of talks about the difference between guilty, guilty, like you feel sorry for doing something. And then shame is so, so baked internally. And I think that that's what I meant by, you know, I don't feel shame when it comes to what other people think about me necessarily. Mm. I've said goodbye to brand deals many, many years ago. It's like, I, I get it. I like to post pictures of my butt. That's just, <laughs> it's, I'm willing to take the L on that one, but there is a self shame that I think I still hold on to because it drives me a little bit. Mm. How so? It's, something that it's like a form of self-punishment that can motivate me into to working harder or doing more or instead of being like I should switch over to positive mantras and mm. be like good job for doing this thing you're a badass it's like you dumb bitch you are never gonna be the thing you want you're never you know and it's like that's just rude of me to do that to me <laughs> well at that point you have to ask yourself like okay so let's say it does help me get to that achievement. Is that achievement worth the wrecking ball I just took to the inside of my head? <laughs> no, because it's cyclical. It's like you get there and you're not even happy. You're like, I'm still sad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear more from Kelsey Dara in just a moment. I think of myself as kind of an introverted person and sometimes meeting people and bonding with people seems very daunting to me. But I was watching a video last night, like a movie basically, mm -hmm. of a stage play that involved a lot of audience participation. It was a, oh. in and of itself. It's on Hulu. And yeah. there was all these people there, you know, pre-COVID, unmasked, interacting with each other. And I just thought, 
they're all so beautiful. I want to be among them, like like every single one of them. Do you think you're them. changing? This is so fascinating. Well, I think I'm like one of those animals that just draws nutrients from the air. Like I think there was mm. something around being with people, even if I wasn't bonding with them, even mm-hmm. if I didn't even ever meet them. That was that kept me stronger than I've been in the past year. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't even think about how this is going to change or not change people with kind of introverted or, or socially anxious tendencies. Yeah. Well, at first it was, at first it was great. Like, Oh, sitting at home alone, (laughs) watching movies and, uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm a veteran. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, now everyone else is on my level. You guys all came down here. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, wait, now we're all broken. Uh Oh, yeah. I think I did that wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But going back, I mean, we all say going back to normal. There was no such thing as going back. Yeah. to normal moving forward with whatever is to come in this next future world you know i wonder if people are going to be different if we're going to want to make friends and well i've hug i've heard the the roaring 20s idea that it's going to be like the roaring 20s and like it's going to be, i hope people are going to party but then i also think about what happened right around the roaring 20s the great depression and Yeek. and then everybody's everybody made fun of their grandparents who had gone through the depression saying like oh yeah grandma won't pay the extra nickel for <laughs> yeah. you know and like oh grandpa's always storing food in his basement yes. because he says yes. you never know when it'll come back my my grandma used to say pizza crust there you go i think we're going to be that crazy i don't think no. I don't think we're going to be flapper crazy. I think we're going to be hoarding grandpa crazy. No, I want to be like cool haircuts, fucking (laughs) Renaissance paintings and shit. I didn't even think about it that way. And you know what's so funny? You bring up the Great Depression. I feel so sad for anyone that lived in that era and that has become their identity because I swear to fucking God, if all the shit I've done in my life and I become like the pandemic grandma, I'm going to lose my shit. (laughs) That's so unfair. That's so unfair. Name one person from the Great Depression. You can't. For the first time ever, you'll lose your shit. Up until that point, everything was on cruise control. Oh, yeah. I was very stable this whole time. Yeah, no. So what is what are your boundaries, though, in terms of what you share, mm. what you don't share? Like, mm. if I know Kelsey Dara, the brand, and it's always fun mm. when you're a brand and a person with the exact same sure. name. Where are the boundaries? Where do you draw them? I love this question because I feel like I just figured it out. Oh, <laughs> like, like it Breaking was probably, news. yeah. Hello. Heard it here first. Um, it was when I got into a relationship that I was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is kind of like a forever thing. Like I really dig this person. And I started to recognize that the things I do and say has an effect on him, you know, like we would joke about in like couples therapy, you'd be like, if you Google my name, your photo comes up with the word like blowjob across my face. Like that's the thumbnail from a video. Like that's not my fucking life. And so, you know, I did have to recognize that as much as I love to relate to people with like trauma anecdotes, there are some things that are meant to be, you know, a conversation with a, with someone first. And mm. it's not just my partner. It's become like my close friends or my family's stuff. You know, as much as people know about me and my life, it is just things that I'm trying to talk about with myself. And so that was a cool boundary to learn. Like, oh yeah, give a shit about other people and their <laughs> feelings. 
that's uh, important in a relationship. So you, you say it's stuff you're trying to learn. So when you are making mm. a video, are you, is that the out loud version of something that's going on in your head? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's how you pick your stories? Yeah. And like very rarely have I ever had to edit things out. I'm I'm thinking maybe like once or twice I've had to be like, oh, wait, yeah, that's like a private thing no one knows about. But being on, you know, radio, I'm sure you know, too, it's like you kind of get the hang of having a conversation that doesn't need to be edited down. Have you had people contact you after after you do some work and just say, oh, my God, I can't believe you told people that about me? Mm, nothing that I I've been pretty good with keeping like identities private yeah. but you know for a very long time I kept my sister's addiction and it wasn't until she was like okay I'm ready to do a podcast episode you know I had asked her a million times and she always said like no I'm not ready and I was like good for you for knowing your fucking boundaries because I clearly didn't I would have put you on blast like six years ago but you needed like 10 years of going through it for you to know and I appreciate that so that's the only time I can really think of aren't people who don't talk all the time, amazing. I don't know. I don't know how don't they know. work. Don't know. <laughs> is They're there... like Libras. Don't know. <laughs> is there like some sort of lever in there or, you know, a gate that closes within yeah, them? a battery. A battery. What's your sign? I'm a, I don't think I asked. I'm a cancer. I knew it. Did you? Yeah, because I'm the fire, you're the water. So you should be in, into triangles too, but you're emotion. You're all emotion, baby. Oh, I always thought that it just meant that I was a literal crab skittering <laughs> around the ocean floor. Or I thought it was all, uh, what's the word? Fake. Oh. And pretend. You, are, you, whatever you believe, you can be it. You can dream it. <laughs> is that so a if you want to be a crab, be a crab. Is that a total cancer thing to think that, that mm, being a cancer no. is impossible? <laughs> no, I think... I think you're a rarity and that you're like a cancer who's in denial. Oh, yeah. Most cancers are like, I'm a cancer. <laughs> well, part of it is I just don't like saying out loud, I am a cancer. <laughs> because it bums people out quite a lot. And it makes, and they're like, oh, astrology. We're talking astrology. <laughs> We're talking about how my mother died. Like suddenly it just... It's a hard shift in every conversation. That's a good like sketch idea. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like astrology, like jokes aside, I have found in my mental health treatment that what comes with the astrology culture of like positive affirmations, learning more about yourself, learning ways to connect with someone. Like if I, now I know you're a cancer, I will do or say certain things in our mm. relationship, even if it doesn't fucking work or if it does great. Like it, I just see it as like another tool belt thing. I want to ask about panic attacks because <sighs> I think it's a it's a delightful topic. We know that it's an overused term and it's a term that that people use for just being a little nervous, mm -hmm. which is a completely mm -hmm. logical response to things whereas sure. a panic attack is not. Yeah. I've had I think one in my life ever. Oh, and it did feel like like I I called my wife and I said, "I think I'm dying right now." I think I was, yeah. she was in Seattle. I was in Iowa of all places. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was following the campaign and, and covering oh, that. And I, that's probably why you had the panic attack. Well, I mean, we had a baby on the way. I was traveling oh. around. I was trying to, 
track down Mike Huckabee, which nobody should do. Don't do that. And, <laughs> and, and it did feel like, like everything shifted. And I never Ooh. even considered that it might be what a panic attack mm-hmm. was. I didn't really understand what that was. But mm-hmm. it was just this sudden wave of like, everything mm-hmm. is broken and I'm probably about to die. Yes. And and I, like, I think that's what mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize, that that has yeah. a name, but it's not uh-huh. the same name that a lot of people use. No. And I'm thrilled you brought up the flippancy at which uh, society uses it. I know that I'm uh, guilty and I've worked on being better about it because of someone who's experienced multiple panic attacks in my life. I know that it's not like funny to say like oh my god the Dunkin Donuts line is so long I'm gonna have a fucking panic attack it's like no you're not and I had a hard time making sure I didn't invalidate people either by being like Stacy you're not having a panic attack because the Dunkin Donuts line is so long unless you're agoraphobic and you have social anxiety and you're claustrophobic and then like let's totally talk about that unpack it yeah but it's almost like shifting into an alternate reality and it's a very claustrophobic feeling, which uh, I hate saying because then it makes me like think about it. And I'm like, Ugh. even sometimes thinking about a panic attack, you're yeah. just like, oh, gross. But I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's something that is a very scary thing. People think sometimes they've been drugged by accident, right. that they've been uh, roofied. Allergic um, reaction or something. Yes. Yeah. Heart attacks. Like I've heard it all. So yeah. it's. Yeah, it's not, there's nothing crazy you can say that's happening when you're feeling like a panic attack. Truly nothing. So did you, do you still have them? I would say I'm in a very soft place of remission Mm -hmm. in that I can know when it's coming. Kind of like a migraine. You know, you get these little symptoms and if you can catch it and you've been through it uh, enough the way I have, I'm in a good spot. Mind you, I think if something traumatic were to happen to me, I would not be able to quell um, and use the tools and the hammer that I've come and learned to know. Like I am fully expecting that I'm someone that's going to have panic attacks for the rest of my life because the second you think you've beat it or fixed it or cured yourself, I'm making air quotes, um, you're in trouble because life is always going to surprise you. The brain is a tricky motherfucker. Yes. Well, knowing about them, like being educated on them, being woke about them, does that mitigate them? Does it make them not as bad? I think awareness is the first step into feeling more, uh, I hate to say in control of them because the point is, is to not try to take control of them. But the awareness that that's what it is, is so helpful in Mm. the management of it. Just knowing like, oh yeah, I recognize this feeling that's coming on. And noticing it and not giving it an opinion, because the first thing I would do is I would feel it and I'd go, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, it's happening, here it comes. Right. And now I can kind of go like, oh, yeah, there's that thing where I feel like I'm in a video game and my hands aren't real and I'm living the Truman Show. Okay, this too shall pass. And it takes so, it's not, it's the trickiest. It's the trickiest of the the trickiest. So when you say don't try to take control of them, you mean, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, good therapy for a lot of things like feel it let it go through and (laughs) let it be on its way is that the idea yeah but it's so physical with a panic attack that it's a little bit tougher and i i say that in the book that i'm like listen 
I'm sorry that you're part of this club you don't want to be a part of. It's not fun. There's no perks. We don't get benefits here, but I am going to try and help you as much as I can to give you these like tool things. And you know what? If the symptoms are bad enough, that's why Clonopin and Xanax were invented. You know what I mean? Like I am not anti-medication. I am not anti doing what you need to do mm-hmm. as long as it's not, you know, in a, an abusive way. And only you know when you're crossing that line. And you're not on a regular schedule of, of daily meds, correct? Oh, I am. You are. I'm, I told you before we started recording that I'm more into Eastern medicine these days, uh-huh. which is true, but I'm still taking my shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like doing yoga. Yeah. That's about it. Okay. <laughs> I do the whole thing. Yoga. Others. Yoga. I, oh, heart rate variability <laughs> training. I'm learning about that. Oh, nice. With VR. They've got VR headsets now. That's pretty cool. I'm all about, I'll try anything once. Smoke it. Drink it, pay for it. I'll do it once if it's going to help. <laughs> Have you rocked the MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction? Oh, I'm sure. That sounds so, like, entry level. Well, you know, I am in Minnesota. We're not we're not Southern California here. Good. Okay. We're we, doing ketamine injecting our eyeballs. We here. recently <laughs> found out about the Beach Boys, and we're very excited. Oh, my God. My mom used to help manage them back in the 80s. Really? Total side wow. bar. But, you see, when I talk to you, I'm meeting these people, and it's – it's really like a chimp discovering an iPad to me because I just don't understand how how these people can think straight into a microphone and also not have edits. We're, we're all doing the best we can with what we've been given. And the fact that you referred to me as an iPad, that's like, I'm going to tell my boyfriend new standard. <laughs> I would like to be referred to as an, a shiny new iPad 11. I'll alert my family that I'm to be referred to as a chimp, as a dazzled <laughs> chimp. That's Kelsey Dara. You can find her all over the internet. Her last name is spelled D-A-R-R-A-G-H. You know, I've listened to this interview a lot for editing and getting it ready for you to hear. And the more I listen, the more impressed I am with Kelsey's approach to addressing her issues. For instance, as the depression, panic, and anxiety weighed her down, she recognized that these are things that have happened to her. They are disorders that are occurring in her. There are things that she has, not things that she is. And she decided she didn't need to remain that way forever. And then she got fascinated by these issues. She learned how they worked in general, learned what they did to her specifically. She learned a lot, and as she learned, she got better at managing what was going on. Because most of the time, mental illnesses are not like a broken arm where the bone heals eventually and then you're fine. They're things you got to manage, and you might be managing them the rest of your life. The other thing I love about what Kelsey did was she took some things that she loved, speaking out, getting attention, being funny, and she used that to share the knowledge she had gained with other people to try to help them. It made me think of when I got on this mental health mission myself. It took an evaluation of what I had to work with. Like, I don't have the mind for med school, so being a doctor is out. No good at building websites. I don't think anybody wants to hear me sing about mental health. Politics? No. But I can talk into microphones. You have to use what you got and help people out. Next time on Depression Mode, ever think about your job and your soul kind of collapses and dies? Well, it's not just you. Burnout is a huge problem right now around the world, and it's getting huger. 
89% of people said their well-being had diminished in the last year. I mean, only 2% of the population of our respondents said that their well-being was excellent. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. It's the best kind of marketing we can get. We love it. Keep doing it. It might help those friends out. Also, something that matters a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations happening and changing the world. We got goals, man. And remember, Depression Mode is your show too. We're a team together. So let us know who you want me to interview and what issues you want to hear more about. We want to take your requests. You can email us. Our electric mail address is depreshmode at maximumfun.org. We're on Twitter and Instagram at depreshpod. We are not presently on MySpace, but hey, who knows? Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search it up. I have notes and thoughts and discussions on all of our episodes there as they come out, plus some fun and silly stuff too, and it's free to subscribe, so do so. I'm on Twitter at John Moe, all one word, same on Instagram. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Our theme song, Building Wings, is written and recorded by Rhett Miller. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I am so glad you are here to listen to the show. You are not alone. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun. The company Minimum Fun was run out of business because they weren't fun enough. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.